welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. We are in a mini-series inside our series, and this mini-series is about the six foundational principles of Christianity that I personally have been going to church. I was born in church. I was probably there before I was a week old. And I don't remember any minister, any pastor ever covering these topics, um, even in a passing way. And the Lord is, has impressed upon me to be very purposeful about making sure that we have good, solid, scriptural-based doctrines that we abide by. Otherwise, we just got feelings and opinions. And a feeling opinion church cannot call themselves a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. If he's the Lord, then he's the one that establishes the doctrines, the principles, the theology, which you guys know that part of my fight with the government was over the fact that if Jesus is the Lord of this church, then he determines when the doors are locked and unlocked. And when Governor Pritzker decided that he wanted to step into that place, I fought back with the Lordship of Christ. And I know that, that there's a lot of people across the world that are like, yeah, Lordship of Jesus, take that government. But you don't, if you don't have his Lordship in all the areas of your life, don't think that you're going to stand in front of the Goliaths and you're going to sling the stone under the anointing of God. Because I allowed Jesus to be Lordship in all the areas of my life, then he was able to exalt me in that time. The, the scriptures say, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And then he is able to exalt you in due time. And so because I, I and like Doc Ryan was talking about, we have been very purposeful about his lordship in all the areas of our life. Then when we challenged somebody that was trying to take away our rights and our freedoms in Christ, Jesus stood with us and we won. And so the churches were open, but that's why. And I want... I want everybody in here to understand that he's not just Lord of our church when it comes to us fighting uh, a, a, a lawsuit in the Supreme Court of the United States. He's Lord in every area. That means doctrine. That means theology. That means our beliefs. If you believe something and you can't back it up with two or three witnesses, then it's probably an opinion. And if you build your life on opinions, it's a house of cards. And the big mean wolf is going to come in and he's going to huff and he's puffing. Nobody? <laughs> Man, I just launched it right out there. It's like a layup. So we're in the fifth message in this mini-series. And many of you remember that we, uh, these truths come out of Hebrews chapter 5 into Hebrews chapter 6. This is one of the books in the Bible. It would do you well to take the numbers out. And I'm going to start with Hebrews chapter 5, verses, uh, verse 11, and we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 6. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are dull of hearing. 
I had a I had a person talk to me about a church experience, and they were trying to like comment, I guess in a positive way about their church. And they're like, "Man, every time I go there, just I get everything I need, and I feel um, so wonderful at the end of all the messages and." And everything is exactly what I need to hear and what I want to hear, and it soothes me. And it does. And I was sitting there after a while, and I was like, "Do you ever hear anything challenging?" No, no, no. We're not that kind of church. Well, we are. If everything you hear in a spiritual context just makes you smile and and have warm fuzzies and duck bumps on top of your goosebumps. Um, it is a self-centered version of Christianity that you've put yourself into. And once you've turned your spiritual journey into a self-centered journey, there's almost no way out of that. Because then when somebody does come along and challenge you, like, you know, God, you're going to tell him he's wrong. You start telling God he's wrong, you're in a mess. And there's very few rescue for very few rescue opportunities for a person that's there. So just let me exhort you that if you hear something, no, not if. When you hear something you don't like, it probably is the thing you need to hear. And don't get mad at me. <laughs> you can get mad at God, but that's worse. You might want to just go ahead and take it and be like an old cow. Chew that cud until it turns into milk. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you're dull of hearing. Although by this time, you ought to be teachers. Just a reminder, he was talking to people that were probably somewhere around 10 years in. And the word teacher here is the Greek word that would have been translated from the Hebrew word rabbi. So he says, about 10 years into Christianity, you should be about the place where you're a rabbi. Mm. Nobody got their hanky out on that one. We, we don't really drill into the kingdom the way we drill into other things. You know, if I, if I took you to a, um, a carpenter, and if you couldn't frame out a wall in 10 years of being with a master carpenter, you are not good. <laughs> Look at me growing up with my adjectives. If, you, if I took you to a CNC operator and he worked with you every day for 10 years, and at the end of 10 years you can't run a CNC lathe, there is serious, serious issues. And we're covering theology here, basic, fundamental theology. These are core doctrines in the body of Christ. And I would dare say that probably half of Christianity, I don't know about this church, you guys are better than the average bear, but about half of Christianity would not be able to delineate at all on one of these six principles and God forbid all six of them. And that's our fault. That's 
That's the ministry of the church is supposed to be about that. And we're getting better. Amen. I'm getting better every day. That was a great opportunity that some of you missed. But I want you to understand that this is not something that the preachers are supposed to be doing. He was writing to the church. Hey, church, you're supposed to be rabbis. You're supposed to be able to cover these topics, cover them in depth, so that you can help people understand them. It's not, hey, preachers, you guys are really not doing a good job. It was, hey, congregation. There is no, in the Bible, there is no such thing as lay person and clergy. We invented that to try to put hierarchical standards on the kingdom that were never intended to be there. You are a royal priesthood. Not I am. You are. We are a chosen generation. A people called out, separated unto the gospel, the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you... If there's things in your life that you know better than some of these things, that just illustrates the fact that you have the ability to learn. You're just not learning these things. When you get to heaven, you being able to do the math on how to do the the quarterback rating for your favorite fantasy football league, is really not going to come into play. That's, that's not going to be what gets you through the pearly gates. It's going to be you understanding your righteousness, how to trust God, how to believe in what he's accomplished for you through the finished work of Christ. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to reteach you the basic principles of God's word. That's arche in the Greek. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is still an infant, inexperienced in the message of righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use, not Sunday use, constant use, have trained their senses to distinguish good from evil. Amen. Man, that is, our world is filled with people that don't have a clue about good and evil. It's good to murder a baby in the womb. It's evil to protect life. That's our world. It's good to not know your gender. It's bad to believe that you were born the way that God created you. We need some discernment, and we have not constantly been training ourselves in this discernment. And the world is downstream of the church. One of the responsibilities of a church in a culture or a nation is that we are supposed to be establishing the morality of a nation. The immorality of America is a reflection on how well the church is doing in America. That, that shouldn't be an amen. It should be like a ugh. We are supposed to be the ones that are setting the morality standards in our nation. 
So how's that look? Well, these politicians, they're all liars and snakes and, and they're for sale, this whole thing that just happened in Arizona last week. <laughs> you think he's the only one that's trying to prostitute the power um, schisms in America? You th and you know what's radical? Here, this is why this whole thing blew up. Because Carrie Lake said no. One out of a million politicians. Hey, can we bribe you to do what we want you to do? No. What do you mean no? Nobody's ever said no. That's why it's that national news. Because somebody said no. You know what that means? Everybody else says yeah, yeah, sure. How much you want to give me? How you want me to vote? What do you want me to do? And before we get all angry at the politicians, they're downstream the morality that you and I have. Can the world buy you? Will you, will you uh, compromise some of your standards for your boss who's going to give you a raise? Will you compromise uh, some of your standards in your covenant relationships? You know, like every guy flirts, right? It's totally okay. Oh, that, that gal, she's just my friend. Hey, hey, men, you don't have girls that are friends. Ever. Not if you're born again. If you're born again, you got sisters. And if you're flirting with your sister, amen or oh me, we have not set the standard for morality and the world has noticed it. And so now there is no standard. They're setting the standard and we're complaining now. We need to take back what belongs to us, the church, beloved. Therefore, that was a great place for a therefore. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings. Kindergarten. This is why we're doing a seminary class. Ooh, I just got nervous. Got a seminary president here and I've told you guys we're doing a seminary class. Oh boy, about to find out. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. Notice the exhortation. Notice how the writer kind of like insulted them a little bit. You're not doing good. You're like babes. You need breast milk. What's wrong with you? You should be farther along. And then he comes in and he said, all right. Do you feel sore? Yeah, that kind of smarts, dad. All right, you going to do what you need to do? Yes, sir. God the Father loves us. One of the greatest expressions of the love of God is correction. If you've never been corrected by God, you have never experienced the fullness of his love. I'm just telling you right now, it's just that simple. It's just that simple. And now we have parenting today that's taken up the same mantra, which is you think that you're just supposed to be your kids' friends. Just going to be my kids' as friends. We're going to play games together and, and laugh together. And we're going we're gonna to cuss together and drink together. Because you're called to be your kids' as friend. Because that's, that's how you love them, right? If you love them that way, then when they're older, then because you're your, they're your friend, they're going to do right. I, I don't know who's told you that big, fat, hairy, stinky lie. 
but <laughs> your kids, once they reduce you to friend, you are done. People don't listen to their friends. Hello? Anybody got any worldly friends? People don't listen to their friends. You listen to covenant people that are in your life, not your friends. The, the other day there, uh, there was a, we were, Kay and I just did, man, I can't even talk about it. We just, we just did a fun thing, an interesting thing. It was a covenant thing. It was a kingdom thing. And they were, it was with some really high profile people and they were, uh, they were greatly um, impressed by some of the kingdom truths that we're all supposed to know, that I was enumerating to them. And this whole language of covenant that you hear here all the time, that if you're connected with Doc Ryan, you hear all the time. It's a word that we put out there. And it's not just some click word. It's not one of our cool, beloved words. We didn't invent it. This is God's word. And in covenant, you on purpose lean into each other for the benefits that you can provide. And one of the situations, there was this, uh, there was a person who needed help in an area of their life and they reached out to their friends to get help. And because they were friends, they gave them bad advice because they didn't have expertise, they didn't have experience, they didn't have knowledge, they didn't have wisdom. They had friendship. You know what you tell your friends? Whatever to keep them your friend. You lie to them, you tell, hey, how do I look in his dress? Awesome. <laughs> Amen. How's my hair? Great. Pink's my favorite color, and the spiky thing, uh, just makes your eyes bloom. You don't, you don't tell friends the truth because you're trying to keep them friends. Now, covenant people, you tell them the truth. Which could be, hey, I don't know what to do there. You need to call someone that's better than me. And this person got into a mess, a serious mess that they're still in, they might not get out of, because they went to their friends to get friend advice instead of going to covenant people to get truth. Don't be like that. Don't do that to your children. Parents, future parents. Let us go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, number one, and of faith in God, number two. We did that last week. And then this week, instruction, notice a singular instruction about baptisms, plural. Singular and then plural. The instruction is singular. The baptisms are plural. The laying on of hands, that's number four. The resurrection of the dead, that's number five. And eternal judgment, that's number six. And this we will do, if God permits. He talks like a good preacher. I'm going to do it if you got to stay past lunch. <laughs> it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God. We sang about the goodness of God today. And when you're thinking about the goodness of God, how many of you thought about the word? 
Probably not. We, when we think about goodness, we think like, well, God loves me, and he whispered sweet nothings in my ear, and he told me that he, that he loves my makeup. And we, we don't think about these characteristics as being part of God's goodness. God wrote a book for you that if you would actually engage with it, you will navigate your life like a champ, like a champ. That's good. That's a good God. You know, I'm a, Kay and I are good parents, and we didn't write a book for our kids. We just told them to do stuff and beat them when they didn't. All right. We spanked them. who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age. Sounds like gifts of the spirit. And then have fallen away. Yeah, that's where it gets heavy and it should. It's impossible for them to be restored to repentance. That is dangerous place to be, beloved. You're either headed towards the things of God, or you are headed away from the things of God. There is no stagnancy. There is no idle. You're going up or you're going down. Gravity is a constant. It is pulling on you. And if you are not on purpose interacting with the laws of flight and lift, you are falling to the ground. We just flew back from Seattle. You know, and I could sit in that airplane and say, ha, Look at me, eight miles up, 500 miles an hour. I am something. Look at me. How many people, how many millions and billions of people wish they could be like me? Way up here, flying through the clouds, looking down at all those sorry little peons in their cars. The moment I step out of that airplane, I'm about to find out how awesome I am. It's not me that's awesome. It's the airplane that's awesome. It ain't you that's awesome. It's you in Christ that's awesome. The moment you step out, oh, gravity is coming. Gravity is coming. You are either in Christ headed up or you are out of Christ headed down. And depending on how high you got, that landing is going to be a shock. To be restored to repentance because they themselves are crucifying. They themselves are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to an open shame. They themselves are crucifying you know, how many people are like, those Romans, I can't believe they did what they did to my Jesus. Maybe what they did, they were doing as a job, being paid for it. They did it every day. Jesus to them was just another person in in the long line of folks that they were supposed to be doing this for in order to maintain lawful ordinances in Rome, in Jerusalem. You know, you don't want any uprisings and you got you to push down any of these rebels that are trying to fight against the Roman culture. They were just doing 
what they knew to do. We know better. We know better. So anytime that we want to lambast those Romans or those Jews, how dare them Jews turn Jesus in? And then we go out and violate the principles of God in our life? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to scream at my wife because I feel like it? Because she did something I didn't like? Really? And we think those Romans were terrible. We know what Christ died for us for. We know the lifestyles we're supposed to lead. They didn't know what they were doing. Jesus specifically said that. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I know what I'm doing. And likely so do you. Yep, it's already real. Because they themselves are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to open shame. How so? Because we are called to be the imagers of God. You're called to be the image of God. So when you put yourself in a shameful situation, it's not just you that's being represented. It's him. It's him. You know, if I go out and commit some terrible sin, it's not just Steve. It's you. You're part of the beloved family. You, you, some of you have been here 10, 12 years fighting for our principles and, and fighting for, the, for this all-in Jesus culture that we've tried to establish and you know, and if I went out and I just violated this because I wanted to have a night or it, it's not just me. It's all y'all. It's all those thousands of people out there in YouTube land. And I think that some folks in Christianity are like, well, I don't have a following and I'm not a preacher and, and nobody's watching all the things in my life. Well, God is. And so are other people. And in our world, it's so easy to go on Facebook and post your awesome little memes and all of your cool scripture verses and all that. And then you go out there and live like the devil. You think those folks don't know? You think they don't know? They talk to me about it. Oh, did you see so-and-so's post? No, I didn't. What was it? Oh, you know, Christian this and that. Oh, yeah, really? Yep. And they got arrested, you know, on Thursday for DUI. Yep. Yep. And we think we can get away with that. <laughs> you're, you're not fooling anybody but you. Because the world's watching. They're not fooled. You've heard me say this. Your fruits don't lie. You can try to tell me that your apple is a banana, but I'm not that stupid. I know the difference between an apple and a banana. Being saturated and fully immersed into Christ is a necessary component for being built into a spiritual house. Saturated, immersed. Watchman Nee, who is a hero of the faith, a modern hero of the faith. Look him up if you don't know who he is. He made this very short quote. 
Baptism is faith in action. That's powerful. And William Tyndale, one of the reasons that we have a Bible today, William Tyndale was martyred trying to produce the Bible. The good word of God, it was so good that he died to make sure you got one. He said, the circumcised in the flesh and not in the heart have no part in God's good promises. Even so, they that be baptized in the flesh and not in heart have no part in Christ's blood. You've heard me say it this way, that if you, if you get water baptized and you are not in an authentic spiritual place of repentance and you know what you're doing, then basically what you did was got wet. And what you're going to do is dry off. And when you dry off, you're going back to the same way, the same life. Another person right next to you can be baptized and their whole life changes forever. What's the difference? The water? The heart. God didn't show up for one person and not show up for the other. So this term instruction about baptisms. The word instruction is didache. Did I say it right, Dr. Ryan, this time? All right, he corrected me. Um, didache, which comes from the word didasco, which is to teach. This is where we get the word doctrine. It's established teaching, especially a summarized body of respected teaching, viewed as reliable or time-honored, Another cognate word for didaskalia means applied teaching or systematic theology. So this isn't just teaching like, hey, let me, let me show you how to punch the straw in your sunny delight. Or what's the? Capri Sun. Capri Sun. <laughs> let me show you how to punch the straw in the Capri Sun. That's not teaching. That's not this kind of instruction. This is deep this is, uh, when I used to train my managers and I had my managers train other managers and then those people train people, I had, this sounds narcissistic, but it wasn't, but I had the, the castle training philosophy that they carried on a pocket card in their uniform pocket. It does sound narcissistic now. It wasn't really narcissistic. Everybody had pocket cards, everybody had a uniform and you had your thing on there. So the castle training philosophy was uh, tell me, show me, watch me, follow up. Tell me, show me, watch me, follow up. Tell me how to do the thing. Show me how to do the thing. Now watch me do the thing and then come back later and follow up that I'm still doing the thing the right way. Tell me, show me, watch me, follow up. And so whenever I would walk into one of my restaurants and one of my managers was like, you know, beating up a, a grill operator for not doing it right, I said, hey, did you tell him? Yeah, I told him, told him a lot. Did you show him? Well, I don't have to show him, I told him. God had to show us, you know. His name was Jesus. We didn't get it. For 4,000 years, God told us. And he's finally like, dear Lord. I'm gonna have to show him. And he did. And Jesus came and showed us 
He was the express image of the Father, and says in Hebrews 1. He was the imager of all imagers. Your Christianity comes from Christ. If it doesn't look like Christ, it's not Christianity. <laughs> Baptism is something Jesus taught. Jesus personally participated in. And he commanded it to be continued. Christ is the perfect image of Christianity. And Christ engaged in baptism. The word baptism is baptismos, in the, which is the noun version of it. The verb form is the act of dipping or washing in a ceremonial characteristic. It's properly submerging, immersing, completely saturated. You can't really sprinkle, and I'm not getting into all the theology about water baptism, but to sprinkle someone is not really to hold true to the word because the word means to immerse, to completely saturate. And this is going to come into play as we get into the baptisms, plural. I'm going to cover three of them. And most of us are thinking water because if you've had any teaching whatsoever on baptism, it's probably been water. Just so you know, that's like the least important of the three I'm going to cover. If you're offended, just stay with me. If you're offended, this isn't a Baptist church, you'll get over it. <laughs> or you'll quit. Figuratively, this means ceremonial washings. When they, when they cleaned all of the, um, the utensils in the tabernacle and in the temple, this, it was called ceremonial washings. And they would use, in the Greek, the word was baptismos. They were cleaning them ceremonially, washing them. Stick with me, this is going to get good. I want you to consider just for a moment all the verses that, those of you that are, that are students of the word, all the, the places in the scripture where it talks about washing. Like husbands, love your wives. Ephesians 5. And make sure that you are washing her with the water of your words. You know, you can ceremonially wash your spouse with your words, or you can defile them. In, um, in Ephesians uh, 4 or 6, where it talks about husband, or, uh, fathers, you're supposed to parent, you're supposed to father your children in a way that it does not induce them to wrath. You're supposed to be using your words and your correction over them, not in some way to produce a wrathful response from them. You know, there's a way you can correct. There's a way God corrects, and we know we've been corrected in love. And there's a washing that you can do with your words, or you can defile. You can tear down with your words or you can build up. And some of us are good at both. And you shouldn't be. I would exhort you to use your words to wash. 
we should be washing each other. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. If he thought you were important enough to wash in his blood, you should be important enough to me to wash you with my words. Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 11. This is John the Baptist. wonder where he got his name from. I baptize you with water for repentance. I, I, I need you to listen to these words. I want you to unpack some of these words because we're going to come back into this. This is very important. I, John, baptize, immerse, submerge, fully saturate you in water. Notice why? For repentance. That's your part. For repentance. But after me will come one more powerful man than I, whose sandals I am not even worthy to carry. And would to God more believers had this value, this honor for Jesus Christ. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. If you, anybody's ever been in a Pentecostal environment, it's not the Holy Ghost and fires. The Holy Ghost and fire. Yeah. <laughs> fire. Because we think like there has to be more emotional. There has to be, there has to be this, this charismania attached to it. Fire. Okay, I've actually had this question come before and during Q&A Sundays where people said, hey, you know, the Bible says that Jesus is going to baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire, so what's the fire part? The, you, you, you really don't want to know. Fire is the cleaning out part. Like, well, no, I'm supposed to be the fire so I can ride my chariot and I can raise the dead and I can do awesome charismania. It's not that kind of fire. And I've had people argue with me. And I'm like, okay, well then show me the guy in the Bible. Show me anybody in the book of Acts that got baptized in fire and then they just floated around with a stream of smoke behind them while they were nuking everybody with the lightning that's coming from their eyeballs. <laughs> none of them, none of them. Everybody in the book of Acts that was baptized in the Holy Spirit didn't get weird. <laughs> you know, in, in, in Pentecostal charismania that we have, you can almost tell who's baptized in the Holy Spirit by how weird and lopsided they become. They, they didn't do that in the book of Acts. That's not fire. That's, I'm not going to say it. It's not right. The fire is the cleansing aspect of the Holy Spirit. It's purification. It's not weirdness. If the Holy Spirit baptizes you and makes you weird, then it might not be the right spirit. <clears throat> Jesus wasn't weird, y'all. Jesus wasn't weird. Well, he walked on water. That's not weird. That's God. He had somewhere to get. Water was in the way. Walk on it. There was a few things that he did that were a little bit uncouth. Spit on some folks and stuck his finger in people's ears and 
man, I, when you, at the end of this message, when you're done and you need to be healed, I'll spit on you too. I, I'm, we're <laughs> fine with it. There's a whole lot more going there. Please visit Expedition 44. Doc Ryan will do a much greater expository <laughs> teaching on what it meant to be spit on. It actually was a cultural thing. Verse 12, his winnowing fork is in his hand. This is talking about Jesus. This is actually prophetic that's coming from Psalms chapter 1 and Isaiah chapter 41. That his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather his wheat into the barn. What clears the threshing the threshing floor? <laughs> yep. What gets rid of that? Fire. The cleansing fire. So when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, that means like Jesus comes into your life and he, and he takes his pitchfork and he sticks it in the center of you and he throws it in the air. <laughs> and then fire blows through. <laughs> and then all the bad stuff gets burnt out. And the good seed falls back down. But you know how many people don't want the ah! <laughs> or the ah! I'm not doing none of that Holy Spirit stuff. You, you don't want to get sanctified by the fire of God? No, 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 no. I'm going to stay right here, play Candy Crush, and do my daily devotional by life.com. <laughs> you need some fire. Because we know what's going on in your life. You, you need a winnowing fork. <laughs> we'll, we'll have some later on at the Kononia. We'll fork you. <laughs> but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Woohoo! Doesn't everybody want this? Yes, Lord, unquenchable fire. Right here. No, you do an altar call for... Come on up if you want to experience the unquenchable fire of God that's just going to fall on you and burn your sorry butt. You know how many people will be lined up right here? Two charismanias. Give it to me! <laughs> no, when you hear words like that, you don't want that. Whoa, 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 let's turn down the fire. Can I get like a warm? Can I get a warmer? Like a hot pad. Put it right here in the lower back. Can I get one of those? No, you, you get fire, and he's bringing a fork. <laughs> this is why people don't want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, at that time, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And you're coming to me? Man, look at the honor. The reverence in John the Baptist. Would to God more of us had that reverence. Verse 15, let it be so for now, Jesus replied. It is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness in this way. You know what Jesus was saying? I'm going to ask people to do this, so I'm going to do it. All of you that want to be leaders, please take that to heart. Please don't ever ask someone to do something you're not willing to do. Then John permitted him. 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went out of the water. Suddenly, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending 
like a dove and resting on him. I just want to say this real quick, like a dove. God didn't turn into a bird, y'all. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this calmly. If you believe that angels are fat little naked babies, and if you think that the Holy Spirit turned into a bird, you do not understand how the Bible communicates. <laughs> the warriors of God, the heavenly host, are not fat little naked babies with a cupid arrow flying around trying to be matchmakers on earth. I'm sorry if that just ruined your Valentine's Day. You'll get over it. There's no fat little naked babies. And there's no female, ba uh, there's no female angels. They are male, they are masculine, they are warriors, they are messengers of God. And if you think your guardian angel is a fat little naked baby with an arrow and a heart on the end of it, that's why you're scared of the enemy. But if you know that the guardian of your life that God has sent to be a ministering spirit, a flame of fire to protect your life, and you know he's 10, 12 foot tall, and he makes every demon wet their diapers when they look at him, you can have a little bit more confidence knowing that God's got your back. Amen. Don't let the world redefine what God's already defined. God defined marriage, one man, one woman, in a covenant for the whole eternity of your experience on this earth. God said that. I don't give a rip what the Supreme Court said. They're not more supreme than God. God said one man, one woman for life. God said his ministering spirits are angels. They're flaming angels that have come for ministry to the heirs of salvation. He's not sending fat naked babies. He's sending warriors because he's expecting you to war with him. And the Holy Spirit is not a bird. He descended like a a dove. In purity, doves represent peace and purity. It also descended in a way that was artistic and poetic. When the Holy Spirit, man, I want you to think, of, this is the Trinity, y'all. The Trinity. They have never not been apart. What was it like for Jesus for 30 years when he was uniquely distant from God? I can imagine this moment that Jesus was like, Holy Spirit, 30 years. Spend 30 years. Land on me. This was a sacred, sacred moment. And please don't think that there was some bird flying around making everybody freak out. And rested on him. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, the Holy Spirit rests on you. <clears throat> rests on you. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Let me ask you this. Those of you that know the scriptures a little bit, how many miracles had Jesus performed at this point? How many drunks and prostitutes did he rescue? How many sermons had he preached? So he was God's son 
that was well-pleasing to his father before the works. Stop trying to redefine God's pleasure for you by your works or lack thereof. God is pleased in your identity. Now live from your identity and your works will be pleasing to him as well. If you don't know your father's pleased in you, how will you ever please him with your life? There are three primary baptisms we're going to cover quickly today. The first one, I believe the most important one. I can't say that one's more or less important than the other, but the other two don't make a whole lot of sense until you do number one. The first baptism is new life or being born again is how we would coin that phrase. That's not really exactly what Jesus said. He actually said born from above, but born again works because most people understand that. Being born again is a spiritual, listen, this is really important. Being born again is a spiritual baptism, but it's not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'll say it again. Being born again is a spiritual baptism, but it is not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We need to understand that there are three things that are required to have a baptism. The first thing that's required to have a baptism is going to be the recipient or the object. You know, if you were a little Greek kid and you spoke Kone Greek, you could have, your dad could have said, hey, son, go to the store, get me some donuts so I can baptize them in my coffee. Because you can baptizo your donut in a coffee. Dunk, saturate, immerse, completely submerge. So the spiritual context is there has to be something, or in our case, someone who's going to be baptized, going to be dunked. So that's the number one component that you need. The number two is there has to be a medium. If you're going to be dunked, it's got to be dunked into something. You, obviously, in, in the context of water baptism, you've got a person, they're going into water. And the third component is another person. This is really important. You can't baptize yourself. Not correctly, not biblically. Here's why. You are supposed to go backwards into the medium. You don't have the muscles to do it. You have to trust. You have to trust the person taking you. That not only will they take you down, but they will bring you up. This is, this is another aspect of not only the church community, but also our relationship with God that if you don't trust him, you will not be able to lean back into his arms. You will not be able to lean back into some beloved person's arms and believe that they're going to take you into a medium that could suffocate you, but yet bring you out differently. You have to have those three components. The thing being baptized or the person being baptized the one doing the baptism, and the medium in which they're being baptized. 
So in new life, in being born again, the person is you. Amen. So we've got the first component down. The second component is, what are you being submerged into? Paul told us 170 times in his epistles, in Christ, in him, in Christ, you are being baptized into Christ. You, the person, into Christ is the medium. Then who's doing it? Your father. You can trust your father. His arms are strong. The believer's heart is submerged into Christ by the Father. For the old man's death and resurrection into new life. The believer is drawn to salvation by the goodness of God, your Father. And then buried in the same crucifixion death that Jesus himself died in. Then you are raised as a new creation through the resurrection that can only be accomplished by the Holy Spirit. There is no way to do this in the natural. This is either supernatural or it don't get done. John 6, Jesus said, no man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And then I will raise him up. In the Greek, that word is anastasis. Anastasis is resurrection. So Jesus said, I will resurrect him. It's the power of Christ that resurrects you in this born-again life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Romans 2, 4 says, Or do you disregard the riches of his kindness, his tolerance, his patience, and not realizing that it's God's kindness in the King James, it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. You cannot be scared into new birth. And I could unplug right here and say a bunch of stuff that would make a lot of folks mad. I'm not going to do it. Whatever brings you into the kingdom keeps you into the kingdom. If someone scared you into the kingdom, then someone has to keep scaring you to make you stay. You're going to go to hell, you sinner. You're going to burn forever. <gasps> what do I need to do? Say this prayer. Chant this mantra right after me. Say this incantation and use the same exact tonality that I use. Okay. Jesus, come into my heart. Jesus, come into my heart. You, that person is not experiencing the spirit of God because only the goodness of God is going to draw you into this experience. And if it's the goodness of God, then you have to recognize that your father wants you to have this. You have to trust him to take you into Christ and bring you out a new creation in Christ Jesus. You can't be scared into that. Now, you should be scared. You should have a fear of God. You should be scared to sin. If there isn't some fearful regret in us to miss the mark for what our fathers created us for, then you probably need to um, do a better assessment of where you are at in your heart. But if fear is the only thing that motivates you, then the you're playing right into the devil's hand because he's got plenty of fear for you. Don't go there. Don't get trapped in that. Romans 6, 1 through 4. What then shall we say? Shall we continue in sin so that grace may increase? Some preachers say so. Keep on sinning. Jesus paid for it. 
You hear a lot of believers on Facebook and YouTube that talk this way. Oh, God don't care. You can, live, you can live any life you want. You can be as sexually as dysfunctional as you want. You can have all the addictions you want, but God loves you. Okay. I agree. God loves you. And if you actually received the love of God, you wouldn't want to do a ripping thing against him. If you're looking for an excuse to sin, then I would just say that father of righteousness is probably not the father that you are taking after. Amen. Verse 2, certainly not. In the Greek, that is an imperative of, of high order. Certainly not. How can we who died to sin live in it any longer? If you died to that stuff, if you knew that stuff killed you, why would you do it? Or aren't you aware, verse 3, that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. All of us that were emerged, submerged, immersed, saturated, fully saturated into Christ Jesus were fully saturated, fully emerged, fully submersed in his death. You have died. If you're born again, you died. You can't be born again without dying. If you've died, you've done all the dying you're going to do. It's appointed for every man once to die. Then the judgment, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you've died in Christ, then you're done doing your dying. You should no longer fear death. Amen. Just live dead. You've done, you've done your dying. You did it. Checked. What's next? We'll live for Christ. Verse 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism, through immersion, submersion, into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too, equal, the same way Jesus was raised, you're raised, may walk in newness of life. What does it look like? It looks like Jesus. Jesus was baptized, and then he walked in newness of life. If you were baptized, then you walk in newness of life. Same life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that anybody that believes in him will not perish but have. What is that? What's eternal life? What's everlasting life? It's the life of God. It's God's life. It's his quality. It's his quantity of life. That's the life you're supposed to be living in. And the way you have access to that is John 17, 3 says that this is eternal life. This is Jesus. These words are in red in John 17, 3. This is life eternal. This is eternal life. Everlasting life is to know God. Epinosko in the Greek. Deep, intimate, experiential knowledge. To know God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. His eternal life, the way that you live the way Jesus lived, is that you have an intimacy with the Father the way Jesus had an intimacy with the Father. Then you have his life, his quality, his quantity of life. Colossians 2, 11 and 12. In him, what's the medium? Christ. The Father took you in him. You were also circumcised. <laughs> I just like to say that word and look around the room. Circumcised. The gals are like, preach on. The gals are like, the guys are... Move on. 
In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of your sinful nature. What was circumcised? What was cut off? Your nature of sin. You know you don't have a sinful nature anymore? Well, that's what you say, preacher. You should come by my house about 9 o'clock on a Thursday. Okay. I'm either going to believe you or I'm going to believe the Bible. Now, you can train yourself to go back into that stuff if you want, but the nature of sin has been dealt with in your life. There is no reason that you ever have to sin again. None. Zero. What God deals with, he deals with. The finished work of Christ is finished. Well, I sin all the time. Okay. Not because God's making you. And not because I'm making you. Well, maybe sometimes. <laughs> I just mean I say stuff that make you mad. You don't have to get mad. You can just forgive me. In the putting off of your sinful nature with the circumcision performed by Christ and not by human hands. So who cut away that sinful nature? Christ. Well, he didn't do a good job on me. Shh, 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 shh. Don't say that out loud. Then you're just going to tell everybody how stupid you are, and then we're going to deal with that. Verse 12, and having been buried with him in baptism, you were raised with him. We were buried with him and raised with him. This is real Bible, y'all. I didn't write this. God wrote this. This really happened. If you're born again, this really happened. This isn't God just waxing poetic. He's not like, hey, what can I put in there that will manipulate everybody's thinking? This is true historic fact. In heaven, there's a date, there's a moment that you did this. You were, went down into death with Christ and you were raised in newness of life with Christ. Through the, you were raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. Mark 16, 15 through 18, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Whoever believes and is baptized in water. Nobody? Anybody? Somebody. Please help me. Did, did I do anything wrong? Oh, I said water. Well, duh, it says water, right? Everybody's brain thinks it says water. There's, all, there's multiple denominations that believe that it says water so much so that they'll excommunicate your sorry butt if you don't do it. This doesn't say water, y'all. Baptized. Why do we think every time we see the word baptized that there has to be water? Because we've been trained to believe that. Because we don't think the other baptisms, plural, exist. There's just one. It's water. You need to go do it or you're going to hell. No. This is baptized into Christ. The only way to be saved is to be baptized into Christ. Water don't save you. If you think water saves you, no, I'm not going to do it. Water don't save you. Just say it, say it. Water don't save you. You drink it every day. Our world's full of it. People aren't saved. If you need help unpacking that, <laughs> okay. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Notice that the believing and the baptizing are associated just like I read in Colossians 2. The only way that you're going to be baptized and circumcised by Christ is by faith 
in him. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they'll drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They'll pick up snakes with their hands. We're bringing the snakes out later for all you guests. <laughs> if, they drink any, if they drink any deadly poison or take a... No, I'm not going to say it. If they drink... Man! Move on, Steve. If they drink any deadly poison, it will not harm them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will be made well. I know it's in your Bible. There's a few translations that take all that out because they fight over the manuscripts with it. But here's what I'm telling you. It's in mine. It's probably in yours. So this says that if we lay hands on the sick, they'll be made well. Anybody? You should try that. You should practice that. If you practice it enough, you know, I laid hands on like 100 people and none of them. I couldn't get rid of a headache. Nothing. And I just kept reading. I'm like, Lord, it says, if I'll do this, this is what will happen. But obviously the qualifier was for those who believe. <laughs> I didn't believe right off the bat. I was told. You know, being told something doesn't mean you believe something. It just means you're not arguing with it. I laid hands on like 100 people, nobody. And then somebody. I can tell you, I was way more excited than the person that got healed. <laughs> They're like, well, they're like, ah, I feel better. You feel better? <laughs> Gary! <laughs> it worked. <laughs> Number two, water. This is the one that most people are aware of is the word baptism, water. The believer is submerged in water, so the person being submerged goes into water, and they're done by another believer. How do you do this if you're not part of a community? <laughs> Got one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> For an outward declaration of an inward reality. An outward declaration of inward reality. Uh, I'm about to say something that's going to mess with a, a lot of the charismaniacs in the in room. So if you're one of those, just sit there and just amen or nod and nobody will know you're one of those people. This is what true spiritual warfare looks like. Real spiritual warfare is that. Is putting all of the spiritual entities and the world you live in on notice that you have a Lord, you have a God, and ain't none of them got any rights to you ever again. Spiritual warfare isn't going in your closet and kicking the walls and praying in tongues so loud that the neighbors wonder what possessed you. <laughs> Spiritual warfare is letting the heavenlies and the under-earthlies know who you belong to. This is true spiritual warfare because you are publicly professing to mankind and to the spirit world your allegiance and your loyalty to Christ as your king alone. I have one king. His name is Christ. Amen. And every demon is like, ugh. That's spiritual warfare. When you're tempted to serve that other king, to serve that small g God, when you're tempted to do that, you say, no. I have one king, his name is Jesus, and I'm living in righteousness. The devil's like, ah, dang it. 
dagger to the heart. If you're ever mad at the enemy, if he's ever killed someone you loved, this is the best way to get revenge. This is the best spiritual warfare you can have. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. When Jesus realized that the Pharisees were aware, he was gaining and baptizing more disciples. What were being baptized? Disciples, not Christians. Disciples, people that were willing to go all in. Not people that are willing to wear a cross around their neck and say, hey, I got wet once. God bless you. Disciples. He was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Now look at verse 2 in parentheses. Although it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. Disciples baptized disciples. Why wasn't Jesus doing it? Because he's got a different baptism that's going to be coming later that John the Baptist told us he was going to be doing. So he's not doing the water one because Jesus is in charge of a different one. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. This is Peter talking about Noah. And this water, the water of Noah, symbolizes the baptism that now saves you also. Let me ask you this. Did the water in Noah's day save him? Oh boy, I, I love this part. Uh, what's the... Everybody looks at like Kay and Doc Ryan, like, what's the answer? <laughs> Did the water save them? Yeah. Yes, no. <laughs> Say something about the boat. <laughs> <laughs> Peter was using this as, uh, analogous to the situation. The water saved them, but didn't save them. Listen, water, bap listen, former Baptists who are being redeemed. <laughs> Does water save you or not? There is an aspect of your salvation that you can, you can connect to through water baptism. It is encouraged. Everyone should be water baptized. And you don't get born again being water baptized. There's an aspect of salvation that takes place in water baptism, but it's not the new birth salvation. Water didn't save Noah, but water saved Noah. <laughs> this water symbolizes the baptism that now saves you also. And notice, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. Water baptism is you pledging yourself, I am going to stay wet. I'm going to stay wet. I'm never going to dry out again. I'm going to stay saturated with this water of repentance and live my life now based upon what Jesus Christ has done for me. A clear conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. Acts chapter 8, verses 35 through 38. Now, it's going to get funky here, and I don't know what Mary did about this, but in the BSB, we're missing a verse. I know you guys are like, heresy, false Bible. Just settle down. We'll fix it later. Verse 35, then Philip began with this very scripture. He was talking to the eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch, 
which the Ethiopian eunuch represents all of humanity, just so you know. Ethiopian means that they were not Jewish, so they were, uh, they were not the people of God. This is all of humanity. Even Jewish people were not the people of God because they were supposed to, the only way you got to be a people of God is by faith, not by DNA. And so the eunuch, the Ethiopian part of him represented all of us being outside of Christ. And the eunuch part represents how all of us are. We were castrated by this world. The world castrated every one of us. And some, some guys, I'm not me, man. I'm good to go. Okay. You were spiritually castrated. The part of you that was ever going to be fruitful was cut off by this world. This world emasculated every man and woman through what they did to us. The Ethiopian eunuch is representative of all of us. And as uh, then Philip began with these very scriptures that he was reading out of Isaiah chapter 53 and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road and came to some water, the eunuch said, look, here's water. Who initiated this? Every preacher wants every believer to hear this. Who should be initiating the depth of your spiritual walk? Me? Well, if I was a good preacher, you'd all be fired up, right? If I was a better pastor, nobody would ever quit this church. Right? If I, if I was a really good communicator, nobody would get it wrong. I just challenge anybody that you think that, go read the Gospels and find out the things that they implicated Jesus on. They called him the devil, Beelzebub. I mean, none of you have done, I don't think. Have you? Don't say it. <laughs> As they traveled along the road, the eunuch said, look, here's water. What is there to prevent me from being baptized? <laughs> this is every preacher's dream. <laughs> hey, preacher, I want to go deeper into the things of God. What's going to prevent me? Not me. I'm going to help you. Come here. Splash. Verse 37, some manuscripts don't have verse 37. They believe that it was added by the scribes to show depth that uh, they don't believe that Luke actually put in there. So verse 37 says, and Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, the eunuch replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. He confessed spiritual warfare. Verse 38, and he gave orders to stop the chariot then both Philip and the eunuch went out into the water and Philip baptized him. Bam! And then what happened? Philip got carried away. Another preacher's dream. Just baptize him and leave. Let someone else deal with it. Bert, number three. This is the third baptism. I'm going to do this quick. I know. I bought you all lunch. Hang with me. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is where all the charismaniacs are getting excited now. You can feel them vibrating. Bob's about to make some noises. <laughs> what happens in the baptism of the Holy Spirit? The believer's soul. The believer's soul. The already born again person has their soul submerged into the Holy Spirit by another believer with Christ. For an eternal act of sanctification and transformation. This is a subsequent action after the new birth, which brings empowerment, access to the gifts of the Spirit, 
and a unique access to the work of sanctification and transformation. Some of y'all need this. Let me give you verses to prove that you need this. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. So when they came together, they, the disciples, the disciples, the disciples, the disciples who were born again, the disciples, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Are we getting paid now? We spent three and a half years working hard for you. Then Jesus replied, the resurrected Jesus replied, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. <laughs> Man, that verse is going to come up later when we get into eschatology. <laughs> but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. They were already born again. They were already born again and Jesus said there's something that's going to happen. So there's something that spiritually already happened, they're born again, and there's something that was going to happen. What was going to happen? The Holy Spirit was going to come on them, give them power. This is a subsequent event. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses, my martyrs. Amen. Anybody want to be a martyr? Amen. This guy. You will be my martyrs. <laughs> In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and Lena and Freeport, Stevenson County and Wisconsin and Illinois. <laughs> and to the ends of the earth, like California and New York. That's where the earth ends. <laughs> Acts chapter 2, 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to their hearts. Peter just preached an awesome sermon. And asked Peter and the other disciples, brothers, what shall we do? What do you do after you hear a great sermon? Peter replied, repent, be baptized. <laughs> Man, we're going to have a long line today because I feel like I'm preaching. Rep <laughs> repent, be baptized. Every one of you. How many? All y'all. That's good Texan right there. All y'all. Repent, be baptized. All y'all in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Be baptized into what? The name, the person of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit subsequent, afterwards. The prom this promise belongs to you and to your children. Yes, children can be baptized in the Holy Spirit. In fact, they do better than the old people because you old people with your brains, you're way too intellectual to allow the Holy Spirit come in and take over your soul because you've been trying to take care of your soul all your life and you think you got it under control. God bless you. That's a terrible place to be. This promise belongs to you and your children who are all, and to all who are far off. To whom? To all whom the Lord our God will call to himself. With many other words he testified and he urged them. Sometimes you got to talk people into being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he, the way that he did it was he said, be saved from this corrupt generation. You can see the like bony finger. Be saved from this corrupt generation. That's how Peter preached. I'm just going to say, hey, you should be filled with the Holy Spirit. I, it, I thought it was going to work better than that. Verse 31, those that embraced his message were baptized. You know that means that some of them didn't? Stupid Peter. What a terrible sermon. Any hooser, what's for lunch? Acts 19. 
Verse 1, while Paulus was at Corinth, Paul passed through the interior and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. 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 And I do not know how to accentuate disciples enough. And asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? Now, why would you ask that? Either Paul's theology is completely messed up or today's modern theology is messed up. They were disciples and they were believers. Then why would he ask them, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Most denominations will tell you that Paul right here was a little bit drunk on new wine. No, he asked them because this is an on-purpose subsequent event that he wants everyone to have. And so he shows up to a town. Hey, here's a bunch of disciples. Here's a bunch of believers. Hey, have you guys been baptized in the Holy Spirit? What do you mean? No, they answered. We've not even heard there's a Holy Spirit. Well, who's your pastor? We're Baptists. And then, sorry, we'll have to scratch that. Verse 3, into what then were you baptized? Paul's like incredulous, like, well, well, how are you baptized? You know what they said? Oh, well, into John's baptism. You know what that meant to Paul? Oh, so you were baptized in water for repentance. Well, good for you. But I have another baptism for you. Wait, what? There's another one? Yeah, there's another one. It's awesome. It's better. This, <laughs> uh, into what were you baptized then, Paul asked. The baptism of John, they replied. Verse 4, Paul explained, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That is in Jesus. He's saying, you already got that. Verse 5, on hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. <gasps> in the Bible. Don't they know that talking in tongues will send you to hell? I guess they didn't know that. I guess Paul didn't know that. <laughs> when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And there were about 12 men in all. There was a whole pile of them that this happened to. So it wasn't just like a onesie-twosie thing. It was all these folks. So I'm going to ask you at the end of this message. Acts 8, 36. As they traveled along this message, and they came to the end of it, the people, the believers, the disciples, sitting out there listening to the message said, look here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? At Beloved Church, today, right now, right here, right now, you can have any one of these. If I need to go draw a bath at my house, I'll take and dunk you at my house. And if you are not born again, if you have never legitimately allowed your life to be put into Christ so you could die and be raised a new creation in Christ Jesus. Today, we can do that. And if you have never allowed the Holy Spirit to immerse, submerge, and completely saturate your soul, some of you need some Holy Spirit in your souls because I've talked to you. Your souls, eh. 
This is what the Holy Spirit does. When the Holy Spirit saturates your soul, your emotions start doing what they're supposed to. Your thinking starts doing what it's supposed to. Your life. Listen, if you're freaked out by the tongue thing, fine. Put that in your pocket. We'll get to that later. But I'm telling you, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's like a pair of tennis shoes. They all come with tongues. <laughs> you can have it. It's a heavenly language. It's a heavenly language. If you go to Mexico, you need to speak Spanish. If you're dealing with heavenly things, you need to speak a heavenly language. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's empowering. It will benefit your life. The scriptures say that when you speak in tongues, that you build up your most holy faith and you keep yourself in the love of God. Man, who in the world wouldn't want that? Build up your holy faith and keep yourself in the love of God? Give me some of that. Some people don't want it. I get it. Nobody's in here going to be forced to. But I'm telling you, in this culture, we want to immerse you in all three of these. In Jesus, in water, and in the Holy Spirit. Some of you need it. I needed it. So please rise. I'd like to bless you. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.